Welcome, welcome, welcome everyone to Sister Wives with Mary Jane Kay. Today is book club and we are going to be going over Becoming Sister Wives, Chapter 1, Mary and Cody. Now before I get into it, I just want to remind you guys, if you could please subscribe, I would greatly appreciate that. I would love, love, love to have a community tab. I really want a community tab. I have so many questions I would like to ask you guys. I would like to run polls. I would like to interact more with my viewers and fans of Sister Wives. I would also really love to be able to maybe in the future plan lives, but it's very hard for me to plan ahead and set aside time. So it could be a thing where I could figure out who wants to participate or who would like to be there to see when people are available to maybe be able to plan out more what times I could be available myself. And that's something for a little bit in the future, but I'd really like to have a community tab to be able to organize all of that more efficiently. Anyways, let's get into chapter one, episode two of book club, chapter one of Becoming Sister Wives, entitled Mary and Cody. Mary, we learn, is initially from California, and both of her parents were members of the mainstream Mormon LDS church initially. And Mary's mother had a friend who left the LDS faith to join the FLDS to practice plural marriage. It interested Mary's mom, and she studied the faith, and she suggested to Mary's dad that they move the family to Utah. Her dad agreed to the move without knowing about her mom's religious motivations. It took 4.5 years of studying the principle and the faith for them to move, and Mary was five around the time that they moved to Utah. Mary's mom urged her dad to take on a second wife when Mary was five years old, and it was a short marriage of two years. There were no children in that marriage, and that second wife left. And then when Mary was 10, another second wife was brought in, and Mary didn't think anything was strange about it. Eventually, Mary's dad took four wives in addition to her mom, and she has 27 siblings in total. Mary had an easier time than her siblings from her dad's other marriages because she was the child of her father's legal wife, so Mary could claim her father in public with no hesitation. Her other siblings couldn't publicly claim their dad, but her father still acted as a father to all of her siblings, owning his role as their father despite the risks. Growing up, Mary always assumed that she would live the polygamous lifestyle. She was raised in the lifestyle, and her moms all seemed very happy, along with her biological parents as well. Everyone seemed very happy for the most part. There were ups and downs like in any normal family, but it felt normal and comfortable to Mary, who loved being a part of a large family. Mary's parents never pushed her towards living polygamy. They wanted her to make her own choices and land on polygamy if she was led there of her own volition by herself. Her parents' only rule regarding religion was she had to go to church. Whatever religion she chose... As an adult, whatever it may be, it was all up to Mary. Mary reveals she was shy growing up, but she was able to make friends outside of her church group. She made friends, particularly through work, at a portrait studio. She was friends with so many people outside of her faith that for a time as a teenager, she questioned if she would even live the lifestyle. She was struggling to find her way and where she fit in her community and within her faith, and she was trying to discover who she was. And then she met Cody. 
We learn that Cody was raised in the LDS, the mainstream Mormon faith. When he was 14, his mom pulled him aside to explain some of the more intense doctrines of the faith. And one particular doctrine that she mentioned was celestial plural marriage. As soon as his mom mentioned it, Cody had a feeling he would follow it one day. He didn't know how or when, but he just knew. He was young and stubborn. He battled against the calling. In the LDS faith he was raised in, they don't allow plural marriage and they don't follow plural marriage. And plural marriage is one of the things that separates the Mormon fundamentalist faith, the FLDS, from the LDS faith, the mainstream Mormon faith. At 19, Cody went on his LDS mission, and when he was away, he thought about plural marriage, and it called to him, it spoke to him, and he didn't know what to do with the summons. While away on his mission, he got a letter from his mom telling him that his parents were now excommunicated from the Mormon church and they had joined a fundamentalist Mormon faith. He says he thought it was interesting considering plural marriage was on his mind, but he was too stubborn to see it as a sign that he should follow in the footsteps of his parents. He was heartbroken by his parents' excommunication from the Mormon church and he was concerned about their spiritual well-being as well. But God gave Cody peace and he finished his two-year mission. When Cody returned, his dad had married a second wife. His mom spoke highly of her sister wife in dozens of letters. So although Cody had never met his new mom, he was ready to accept her and to give her respect and love because his dad married her. Cody experienced the remarkable warmth of the principle of plural marriage. He writes... The warmth and love I imagined would go hand in hand with a polygamous lifestyle were no longer an unattainable ideal. They were real and concrete and precisely as I had imagined they would be. My mother was away, but here was another woman who loved my father and whom my father loved. And by extension, we grew to love each other as mother and son. It was an easy and wonderful evolution. Cody was still unsure about converting to the faith, so he went to church and made new friends there, and he was unsure about committing to the faith until he met a girl at church named Mary, and everything changed. Mary says she first met Cody at church. It was a tight, close-knit group, so new faces really stood out, so she noticed Cody. She writes, he caught my eye, and I believe I caught his. She remembers just saying hi, being introduced by someone else. She was 18 and had yet to be courted before. She was so shy, she was probably never even noticed before, she says. So nothing romantic even crossed her mind when first meeting Cody. Mary went to summer camp for girls in her faith, and she happened to meet Cody's sister, Christy. And Cody's sister showed Mary a photo of her brother who was attending their church in Utah. And it happened to be Cody, who she already had met. After camp ended, Christy, who lived in Wyoming, came to Utah for a wedding, and she invited Mary over to the house she was staying at. Mary went to visit, and Cody was there sitting on the couch. He said, hi, Mary, and told Mary she was the one his sister was always talking about. And Mary was shocked. He knew her name. Her friends usually got the guys while she went unnoticed, but Cody noticed. She says it was good to be seen for once rather than to be overlooked for her shyness. I'm sure Cody love-bombed the fuck out of her knowing she was 
a bit shy or insecure even, Mary admits she was taken by Cody from the start. He was cute with a good attitude. He was talkative and engaging and he made Mary feel comfortable with him, but nothing romantic was in her mind and he was her good friend's brother, so they began their friendship. The next day she met up with Christy and Cody She discovered how fun Cody was. He was always laughing and smiling and having a good attitude. He had a good outlook on life. And I'm sure Cody was incredibly charming and he made her feel very seen. And she was impressed by the strength of Cody's convictions and the depth of his spirituality. She liked being around Cody and spending time with him. She went to a party at a family friend's of Cody's and she would catch Cody looking at her and their eyes would meet. And he would smile at her and it made her heart race. This is a middle-aged woman writing her piece of this like a teenage rom-com. I feel like I'm reading the script for She's All That where the jock meets the nerdy creative girl and against the odds he notices her and they find love. I feel like Sixpence None the Richer should be playing Kiss Me in the background. This is too much. Christy returned to Wyoming a few days later and Mary was sad because that was the reason that she was hanging out with Cody and she felt she wouldn't see him around when his sister left, but she was wrong. They were star-crossed lovers and fate insisted they must be together. The next week they met at church stuff. He asked Mary's dad if they could have permission to grab a bite together. She was 18, and she should be able to decide for herself if she wants to go to dinner or lunch with her church friend. And I get that that's the decorum within the faith, but Mary at 18 should be able to decide who she wants to go have a meal with, and her dad isn't her owner to give permission. She should have free will as an adult to go, and the father should trust her decisions. Mary says she knows Cody asking permission was old-fashioned, but their religion has specific morals to uphold and protocols to follow. Mary was flattered by Cody going to the trouble of asking her father permission for them to associate. Her dad was a good judge of character and he warmed to Cody right away. Cody spent more and more time associating with people from their church and Mary likes to think it's because of his interest in her and in the faith as well. Cody was the guy everyone wanted to know and be around. He was enthusiastic and loud, and he stuck out in a crowd. He was a showboat who liked all eyes on him, even as a young man. What a shock! Wow! People would ask Mary if she was Cody's sister when she was seen out with him. She had been in the church since she was five, and she was so shy that people didn't notice her. So when she started hanging out with Cody, then the church people started finally noticing her. She was a wallflower before Cody joined their group, and with Cody, she came out of her shell. She saw everything that was familiar to her in a whole new light. She was participating rather than just standing on the sidelines. She was spending more time with Cody and hoping it would become more than just a friendship. But Cody broke her heart. They had known each other a few weeks, and Mary could not deny she was falling in love. Cody came over and he was waiting for Mary's mom to get home. He loved hanging out with her mom and he wanted to spend more time with her mom. And that pleased Mary and gave her hope that things were getting serious. But that hope was very short-lived. Mary expected that Cody would make some declaration of love to her or that he'd at least hint at his feelings for her. But instead, he announced to Mary that he can't get into a relationship with girls right now. He likes their friendship, and he told her they should just be friends. Mary was devastated by this, of course. 
Cody says he's a hopeless romantic and he becomes easily infatuated. Growing up, he faced little heartbreaks and he was careless with dating. He would dive into a relationship before considering his true feelings. He'd find himself holding a girl's hand and ask, Why am I holding her hand? I don't really like her. He decided while on his mission, he would not kiss a girl until he knew he was in love. His mom had warned Cody, knowing how easily infatuated he was, that the next time he was infatuated with someone, he should try being just friends first. He was done chasing girls and dating carelessly. He wanted to be friends and be patient with the next girl that he was into. Mary was his experiment with being friends, he says. Now, here I have some commentary. Cody wondered why he would dive into a relationship without considering his feelings or why he held hands with a girl he didn't even really like. I would say because of his ego. Cody doesn't care about the other person or how invested they are in him or how they feel, provided his ego is being fed and he is the center of the other person's attention and their focus. Cody will go with it gladly. He will hold their hand, pretend he feels the same even, when he doesn't because it meets the demands of feeding his ego and being the center of attention. Cody thrives on attention. He doesn't actually love the person back, but he goes through the motions. He will hold the girl's hand he doesn't like because he knows in exchange he gets the attention and his ego gets fed. Everything was always about Cody. So why he didn't care about not liking a person is because it doesn't matter to Cody. What primarily matters is his ego being fed and all of the attention on him, whether he likes the other person or not. Why did he hold the girl's hand that he didn't like? He may not have been conscious of it intentionally back then, but even as a young man of 18, he did it as a manipulation because if Cody feigns interest back, he knows that he gets all of the attention focused on him. That's why he held her hand knowing I don't like her. So it shows Cody was always Cody, even back then. I found that to be interesting. Also that he tries to make polygamy feel like fate and a calling and how Mary makes it seem like fate that brought she and Cody together when he just happened to be in her church group and it's a smaller community and a faith camp where it's not a huge faith. So it's not a huge coincidence that she met Cody's sister at camp. On the show, we've heard that he met Mary at church. I also heard that Mary's sister introduced them at church, but apparently they met first at church and then again through his sister. But when they first met, she wasn't the one who introduced them. It doesn't matter hugely. There are bigger contradictions as we go through the book, but I distinctly remember Cody saying that his sister introduced them and through church And the book says they met at church and then hung out more because Mary happened to meet his sister through summer camp. Cody says Mary was cute and sweet when he met her and he had trouble suppressing his romantic side. He said she had a remarkable purity about her. She was probably immature and young and naive and gullible and she grew up very sheltered. Cody writes, I had a sneaking suspicion we were soulmates, but because of the promise I made to myself, I rejected this notion. So when Mary was the fresh young thing, they were soulmates, and then miraculously, he and Robin were soulmates. And I recall Cody telling the marriage therapist Mary deceived him into marrying her in later seasons of the Vegas era. So was Robin the soulmate or Mary? Was Mary deceitful using trickery and sleight of hand to win Cody over to marry her? What's the truth, Cody? I think whoever Cody's little brain fancies is is his soulmate. And once that energy wears off and the baby maker is closed, he finds new soulmates and becomes disillusioned with the former soulmate and deflects on them that they were 
not who they sold themselves to be, as an excuse to justify his cycle. But that's just my opinion, of course. Cody tries hard to sell destiny and fate, the celestial nature of it all. He writes, I was determined to be Mary's friend until I knew her better and I could confirm my suspicion that our destinies were intertwined. It's all about destiny. A few weeks after telling Mary he wasn't open to dating her, he invited her to his parents' ranch in Wyoming for Thanksgiving. During the trip, they were inseparable, and people wondered if they were dating. Mary would make eyes at him, and Cody would wink back at her. What a riveting love story. He says it was clear they liked each other as more than just friends. I didn't wonder at how Mary felt about him, because it was written all over her face. I love how Mary was taken with him, and he wanted to play it cool and hard to get, eating up that this woman is head over heels for him, keeping her on a string, making her wait. He had strong feelings he couldn't deny for Mary, he says. She was sweet and innocent and a wonderful listener. She validated his existence, he writes. Basically, she hung on his every word and worked overtime fawning over him and stroking his ego, and he liked the attention and she liked being noticed and seen, maybe for the first time ever in her life. Mary headed back to Utah with friends and Cody stayed with his parents for a few days and they hadn't been apart that long. He thought about her constantly. I thought he wanted to be careful of infatuation. This sounds like two teenagers who are infatuated and are now going to take on this faith and lifestyle and love. And rather than just dating and living together, they're going to marry so that they can have sex without sinning. And they're automatically going to take up this lifestyle without knowing who they are individually, how life is, how the world is, who they are together as a couple. But they're going to get married when if they just lived together and had sex and had a typical relationship without the constraints of marriage and the lifestyle, they may have actually been together a year or two and then grown apart and moved on. When you're young and you have relationships and there is heartbreak, but you learn from, your, from that heartbreak, you learn about yourself, you learn about life, you learn about love, you learn about relationships, and you grow as a result of that heartbreak. And it really helps one develop and mature to just marry someone so you can have God-sanctioned sex before you learn about yourself and life and develop, it traps you in something you may not be ready for. Even at 30, you may be ready knowing about yourself, you know about life more, you know about love and the world, and you can still love another person and marry them at 30 and grow apart in 10 years. So I think it's much better to safely have premarital sex and learn who you are and learn who the other person is and learn about love and learn about life and relationships. And if you want to marry, marry when you're ready. But don't rush into it just to have sanctified sex and do what you think is right foolishly. It just traps you unnecessarily for no reason but to please others or for societal standards and morals that don't necessarily translate to the realities of life, in my opinion. Cody, in the middle of the night, sat at his mom's kitchen table eating ice cream with a fork, he says. He didn't want to pretend to be Mary's friend anymore or hurt her. He had two questions for God. And if God is up there, a supernatural being in the clouds, saving sick people and hurt people and refugees, I'm sure that he was eager to put everything on hold to answer Cody's burning questions because these questions are more important than saving the kid with cancer or the father that needs a kidney transplant or the refugees with no home to speak of. Cody Brown had questions and God paused his godding to answer. He asked, should I join the church I was investigating and should Mary and I get married? I want to know why he was dumb enough to eat ice cream with a fork and why he felt the need to mention it in the book.
Even with simple things, Cody is inefficient. He does what's easy for him and what's convenient for him. Even something as simple as eating ice cream. Of course there were spoons. He could quickly wash a spoon if one wasn't available. But instead, he chose the fork and decided to mention it was out of convenience. The first thing he grabbed, will he not bother himself with going to the trouble of getting the best tool for the job? Or is it just whatever to him? I think the idea of what's convenient, what's most convenient to Cody, whether it's right or not, or the best fit or not, convenience is key to Cody. And if something becomes inconvenient, he won't go to the trouble of adjusting to it. He will just do what's easiest for him, like eating ice cream with a fork. That's Cody's whole approach to life and relationships as well. When he knew he didn't want to attend Isabel's procedure and it was inconvenient for him, Cody ate his ice cream with a fork, this time affecting his child and wife going through a serious health issue. He did what no husband and father would do to a child in pain during a pandemic needing serious life-threatening surgery with devastating consequences should anything go wrong. Cody tried to dissuade her by saying she'd have an ugly scar, and then he told her she could fly alone in pain during a pandemic across the country to endure the surgery alone as a minor. It wasn't about what was best and right for his daughter and wife, even if it has to inconvenience Cody. It was about what's convenient for him, and Cody isn't going to wash a spoon. It's too inconvenient. He will just do what's convenient and grab a fork because it does the trick, even inefficiently, and his daughter going alone or his wife attending with her alone wasn't morally right as a father or as a husband. But to Cody, it did the trick, provided he doesn't have to be there. I understand that minor example of eating ice cream with a fork and him not attending Isabel's surgery are two very different things, but I think it shows a lot about Cody's personality and his unwillingness to make an effort and do what's right in order to satisfy what is most convenient for him. He speaks of the high morals and ethics in his faith, but he would sooner satisfy his own wants and conveniences than sacrifice effort and sacrifice of himself and the inconveniences of making that sacrifice rather than doing the inconvenient right moral and ethical thing. Isabel and her mom had to attend alone and Cody used the pandemic as a BS excuse to not attend leaving a wife and child alone to cope with major surgery, flying across the country during a pandemic. Is that the higher morals and standards Cody and Robin assert come with their faith? Is doing what is convenient, even if it affects others who count on you and abandoning them, representative of the high morals and ethics Cody discussed on the show and in the book that are inherent with this faith? Cody goes on to say, he didn't want to convert to the faith out of his love for Mary. He wanted to convert based on spiritual conviction, but he knew he must convert in order to marry her. He decided to fast and pray until he felt a deep conviction one way or another. He fasted for two days with no food or water, and then he drove back to Utah where Mary's parents had invited him to stay in their guest room. He hadn't eaten or had any water since Mary left Wyoming, yet he felt great. He probably believes it's a sign from God. Many prophets and heroic leaders of their people fast and it's emblematic with strength and suffering and sacrifice and courage. Cody made the choice to fast to get answers and he thinks he felt great after not eating for two days since Mary left. 
is this delusional thinking? Is this the thought that he is so pious that he will push his body to the limits unnecessarily in a quest for answers from something outside himself, a supernatural being in the sky, and that withholding food and putting your body in duress brings that connection and mental clarity to receive those answers? I don't buy that. I wonder if he occasionally gets his tinfoil hat to connect with the aliens during a full moon. He writes, I was shocked by how great I felt. I was strong and energetic as if I were being sustained by a greater power throughout my fast. I felt as if this remarkable strength that persisted without food or water was part of my answer. This is totally delusional thinking. Cody kind of reminds me of a Jim Jones type with delusional thinking, delusions of grandeur, doing prophetic biblical things like fasting and feeling God will give him the strength and the answers that he is special enough to be that favored by a supernatural entity in the clouds. I could see Cody leading his own church and believing God has led him to do this. He has the ability to showboat and be a chameleon and turn on the charm and charisma, and he has the delusional thinking to believe when he decides to forego food that God gives him strength to endure and reward him with answers. He wants to be the figurehead of his people, the leader, the hero, advocate, and I believe he wants to paint himself in a heroic light. What an ego. Cody got to his guest's bedroom and he was overwhelmed with peace when he got there. That day, he told Mary's dad he had joined the faith. He was committed to it, a faith where people of color are not allowed to hold priesthood positions, a religion that excludes based on appearance. Was that the faith that Cody got peace from? Apparently it was, and so Mary's dad made arrangements, and he was baptized the next weekend. He asked Mary's dad to grant him permission to court Mary, and he agreed. After the baptism, he and Mary went to meet friends. He felt secure in his decision to join the faith, and he knew he wanted to marry Mary, and he knew she would say yes. He was following his romantic impulses and kneeling at the altar before he even began courting Mary, he says. Here is Cody's first recollection of a romantic gesture with Mary. That night in Temple Square, I was wearing an old trench coat from my mission. I turned to Mary and said, your hands look cold. Then I took one of them in mine and I put our hands into the pocket of my coat. I didn't want to attract anyone's notice, but I wanted to hold her hand. I had finally become comfortable with our romance because now I knew this was the woman I was going to marry. It's amazing to me that Cody wanted to be so discreet with just holding Mary's hand. But at the Wild Animal Park, a family tourist attraction in San Diego, he and Robin were making out and hugging and swaying and rubbing and touching. They were even making out on every street corner of San Diego with no discretion, full displays of PDA. But with Mary, he wanted discretion, just holding her hand. During Christine's birth of Truly, Cody had no problem kissing his fiancée and then going back for seconds on camera as she was waiting alone at the hospital after her water had broken. But with Mary holding hands, he wanted to be discreet. In my opinion, Cody was infatuated with Mary. Mary felt she was in love with him. She had never been seen or noticed before by anyone, let alone a guy she thought was cute. And he brought her out of her shell. She got to hang out with the coolest guy at the church, ice cream social, and then the hormones were going and they knew they couldn't just be like other young people in love and experiment and date. So they had to get married to have sex. And I think despite Cody's prophetic fast and calling from God to join the faith, this was young love, a crush, 
and infatuation and hormones making them want to hook up. And the only way that was allowed was for them to get married and then go there. So they did. But these two were like 18 and 19 and they didn't even know themselves, let alone each other or life or relationships. They got married based on social and religious constructs that forced them. If they wanted to further explore their natural human instincts, rather than date or live together or explore that safely and responsibly, Cody made a life commitment to a religion and a lifestyle and a marriage. And Mary did the same, assuming that lust and infatuation was love. But that's just my take. Mary says even though Cody told her he wanted to be just friends and he didn't want to date anyone, she still held out hope. So she was thrilled when Cody asked her dad to court her. She says she and Cody had a wonderful courtship and they had developed a friendship that allowed them to develop a sweet romantic relationship based on that friendship and mutual respect because they knew each other so well. Cody told the marriage counselor Mary deceived him into marrying her in later seasons. So do you tell someone you respect that they deceived you into marrying them? Twist the knife and get off on the cruelty of reminding them of why a mistake they made that you contributed to by being a poor husband is why you can never be with them even though they are desperate to be with you and you string them along. Cody gets off on being cruel to Mary every chance he gets because it hurt his ego, the whole emotional affair, the cheating, the catfishing thing, and it was wrong how she went about seeking a relationship so carelessly, but throwing it in her face every chance he gets when he contributed to it and getting enjoyment out of rubbing her nose in it isn't a sign of deep mutual respect. Anyways, they spent Christmas together at the ranch in Wyoming, and they had been courting a month. They couldn't hide the depth of their feelings for each other, and everyone around them knew that the two of them were in love. Cody's family was nagging them, asking Mary repeatedly when they would get married. And Mary let everyone know Cody hadn't even asked her yet. All of this pressure from the families that they marry immediately so they can bang without sinning is worse than them responsibly dating and living together and having responsible sex and exploring themselves and life and their relationship the way normal people would without that commitment. This pressure to marry at that age for religious and societal constructs under the guise of morality is more immoral in my view than just responsibly having sex in a relationship and cohabitating and then making a lifelong commitment after a period of time if it is right. That night, Cody suggested that maybe he and Mary ought to get married if she wanted to. I almost feel bad that two people who are still kids at 18 or 19 don't yet know themselves. They don't know the realities of life or how the world works, let alone about anything about love or relationships. And they're feeling pressure to marry because of the people around them and the faith telling them they must now make a lifelong commitment. And they don't fully understand just so they can have sex. And they believe that lust and infatuation is love to build a life on and a family on and to build a polygamous family structure on. And grown adults who know better are signing off on it and encouraging them because they too have drunk the Kool-Aid. Mary says it was an awkward moment when Cody asked her and it wasn't the romantic proposal she dreamed of, but she also had something else holding her back. Mary wanted to take time to get answers from God to see if this was right for her. She wanted to check her feelings and validate them with God, she says. It's interesting to me that even a human being with their own emotions and thought processes can't be validated from their own heart and mind and conscious. 
it takes an outside source, a supernatural being in the sky to give reassurance and validation and approval to proceed. That is delusional thinking and also ego thinking that you are so important that that omnipotent being in the clouds exists and that he or most likely she has time to sit and look at every person's inner thoughts to validate them. Give me a break. That's totally delusional and it removes one's own agency and ability and accountability to make choices and it puts the onus of every choice and decision on something outside of yourself. No wonder why most people who claim to be religious always deflect because I feel it's ingrained in them that every thought or choice or decision must be validated by God and the signs and the answers and energy in the sky that will project to you. It's so delusional in my opinion. If that's the case and God is up there literally doing this for every human on earth, I think God has a permanent migraine and God probably wishes people would have more faith in themselves and develop their own skills and discernment and judgment rather than expecting answers from him or her. I feel like that's using God like a student can just go to the back of the textbook and get the homework answers to avoid taking the responsibility and accountability and making the effort to do the hard work and the homework themselves. It's not on God to validate you. It's on you to do the hard work of life and falter and get back up and grow and learn and put in the effort to find the answers yourself. God is not a crutch and if God exists, I doubt he or she wants to be used so literally to that extent in that way. Cody officially proposed on Christmas Eve. He was shy and embarrassed and nervous. He wasn't his usual showboating, confident self when he asked Mary. He just handed her the closed jewelry box without opening it or taking the ring out as if he was delivering a package. She thought it was sweet how nervous and unpracticed Cody was. She let him know he did it all wrong. He was supposed to take the ring out of the box and propose presenting the ring to her rather than just handing her the closed box. She was thrilled. She was completely in love with Cody and she felt she was his soulmate and they were destined for each other. Oh, Mary, I bet Cody tells that to all the women he courts. That they're soulmates, that they're destined. It's destiny that they should be together, just like he did with Robin. Cody asked Mary to marry him before asking her father's permission. So the next day, Cody called Mary's dad, who blessed it. Mary isn't her father's property for her father to decide who she can hang out with or have dinner with or date or get to know or marry. That should be up to Mary and Mary alone. She is a human being with her own agency. She isn't her father's property or Cody's property. And I understand that there is a religious or cultural aspect, and I do think it is respectful of the fiancé to ask the partner's father or parents for approval as a courtesy, But to ask to hang out and then to court and then to date and to marry as if it's up to him and not solely up to the person involved is kind of objectifying as if a woman can't be in charge of her own choices and decisions. And I don't like that vibe, even though I do understand it is a part of the etiquette and decorum of the culture and the faith. And yes, should if if a woman or someone you're going to marry has a good relationship with her parents, it is probably the respectful thing to do to ask for their hand, you know, as a courtesy, but I just think it's too much like this person is an object. You have to ask to get to know them. You have to ask to date them. Then you have to ask to court them. Then you have to ask to marry them. I feel like it's not so much up to the woman herself. It's up to the father, and I don't like that. 
Cody says he loved Mary, he was certain, but he was worried because in all of his past infatuations, he could test the possibility of a chemical connection through a kiss. You know if lust or sexual attraction or this chemical connection Cody refers to is there, which is really physical desire. And you know with or without kissing the person, in my opinion, if that is there. You know it's there. You feel it. It's very tangible. But Cody was worried. Maybe for him it wasn't there naturally. Cody writes regarding kissing Mary. I hadn't done this with Mary, however, simply because it was not appropriate by the standards of my new faith. And because I was waiting for the appropriate time, when we started our courtship, I promised myself I wouldn't kiss her until we were engaged. This strict abstinence made our relationship and our commitment to each other more powerful and meaningful. This was no simple infatuation. It was love that had been established without the complications of physicality, which made it spiritual above all else. In my opinion, the idea that if or physical or intimate, the connection isn't spiritual, it seems like total BS. And I don't believe that if you are not physical and intimate, it means that the connection must be spiritual or that if you give in to carnal desire, it means the bond lacks a deeper spiritual meaning. That's bullshit. All of this is just based on the societal uh, and religious constructs within that faith. It's just religious babble, I feel, uh, to say that... Um, love that you don't act on physically um, would make it more holy or spiritual. And if you act on it physically, it's less holy or less spiritual. And I don't think it's appropriate for Cody or anyone to gauge or judge that in my opinion. It's very weird how scary and negative and bad sex or any type of intimacy or physicality is if it isn't done according to their constructs. But it is completely acceptable to sleep with four different women on rotation according to the faith. But sex before marriage or kissing before engagement or whatever means apparently that it's not a deep, good spiritual connection. It's bad and immoral and wrong. But having sex with four women at once on rotation is totally spiritually fine and good because it was after the spiritual marriage, even though the lifestyle makes the women suffer and some of the men as well. This is such BS in my opinion. The head of the church approved Mary and Cody to get married. Otherwise, I'm guessing if he disapproved, they couldn't go on, I guess. They went to a church dance and Mary wore a peach dress that Cody says accentuated her curves that he tried not to notice before their engagement. At this point, he says he didn't need proof that he was attracted to Mary. I think most men would know right away if they were attracted or not upon seeing a person, even before kissing, even before the engagement. It seems to me that Cody worried about it a great deal since he hadn't kissed Mary before, so he couldn't be sure, he says. And then he allowed himself to notice her curves after the engagement only, and he no longer at that point needed any proof. Most 18 or 19-year-old men uh, and women with all the hormones going would be fully sold signing on the dotted line. They would know that they were attracted before even going to anything physical. But Cody doubted it and seemed to need proof along the way. He seemed worried about if he'd feel chemistry kissing Mary. But after the engagement, suddenly he was looking for proof along the way. And at the point of engagement, he no longer needed any more proof and he allowed himself to notice her. It seems to me this attraction wasn't on 100% automatically naturally there and it wasn't an organic, natural, instinctive thing for him. It seems to me that he had to convince himself and he needed proof for a time until it was all but done 
And then he allowed himself to be convinced, almost as if it was reluctantly, and he still worried about if there would be chemistry if they kissed. I detect hesitation like he wasn't all in and fully sure about this, even then when most 18 or 19-year-olds his age would know that if they were or were not attracted, there wouldn't be a doubt one way or another at all. The night of the dance, Cody took Mary home and he kissed her and he says it was a sweet kiss that felt natural and right. It should feel like a jolt of electricity and intense energy to kiss a person you love, especially for the first time that you are all the way into. It shouldn't just feel natural and sweet and right. He says when he saw Robin, he felt a jolt of energy, as I recall. Here he is kissing his soon-to-be wife for the first time, and he describes it as sweet, natural, and right. Cody says the kiss proved he made the right choice in asking Mary to marry him, and he says the chemistry was undeniable based on that sweet, natural, right kiss. Wow, the chemistry sounds unbelievable. They decided to marry on April 21st, so they would have a four-month-long courtship. He says this courtship of nearly four months was a luxury, and they were in a monogamous relationship, so he understands that after his subsequent marriages, that since it was a monogamous engagement, there were no complications of another wife's feelings and emotions, and they were able to date as much as they liked to get to know each other. Cody describes his relationship with Mary as a typical love story, the kind you see in movies and on TV. She would smile from across a room, and I would wink back at her, he writes. We must have aggravated our friends and families with how much in love we were. While we were outwardly infatuated with each other, deep down we were becoming the soulmates I suspected we would be from the moment we met. They were soulmates from the moment that they met, but he was also soulmates with Robin. And he told the marriage counselor in the Vegas era, Mary had deceived him into marrying her. Cody and Robin also are soulmates, and they proclaim it during their courtship too. Is it soulmates or infatuation and love bombing that makes it feel as though they are soulmates? Cody seems so delusional that every ego feast and every relationship and all that chemistry of lust and infatuation must feel like a deep soulmates type of love to him. Mary was his soulmate. He now won't touch her with a 10-foot pole. What will become of soulmate Robin if Cody's ego and little brain decides he needs more kids and a hot young thing? Will she still be a soulmate or will she be relegated to basement wife as Cody fosters a new, deep, unyielding soulmate love with his new soulmate if he takes on a fifth wife? What a bitter pill that will be to swallow for Robin. Back to Cody and Mary. They married on April 21st, 1990. Mary says they spent their wedding night in their new home and it felt more special to be intimate for the first time in their new home rather than at a hotel room. But on the show, during an episode in Season 8, I believe Season 8, Episode 2, titled A Family Meltdown, they stayed at a hotel where Mary says she spent their honeymoon or their first night together, something to that effect. It may be an inconsistency between the book and the show, or it may be they spent the first wedding night at home and then a night of their honeymoon in that motel. Mary was so sick, so they stayed home for three days, and four days after they married, they left on their honeymoon. Mary writes of her honeymoon, Our honeymoon was a typical Cody Brown style trip. Everything was spontaneous and unplanned. 
We were just so excited to be married and to be traveling with only each other for company. The next day, we made it to Jackson Hole, Wyoming, our official honeymoon destination. We spent a memorable few days there sightseeing around the quaint little tourist town and exploring our new relationship. We had a magical and romantic experience together, a wonderful beginning to our new life. Did Robin also get a typical Cody Brown style trip of everything spontaneous and unplanned? As I recall, Robin got an 11 day meticulously planned trip to paradise. Everything was planned meticulously, including crossing items off of her bucket list, a rental convertible, surf lessons, private tours at the wild animal park, Everything was painstakingly organized and planned for 11 uninterrupted days. A typical Cody Brown style trip, unplanned and spontaneous, was a great honeymoon for three wives, but not Robin. Robin got effort for her honeymoon and planning and crossing off bucket lists and investments of presents and time and money and effort from Cody. Why did one wife deserve more than the others? Cody called Mary his soulmate too, Why didn't she get the soulmate-level treatment and investment as well on her honeymoon? Mary was 19 and Cody just 22 when they married, and before they had kids and wives in the picture, they were able to live a very carefree life. They both knew that there would be other wives, and they discussed taking a second wife, even early on in their marriage. They would talk about when and where they might meet another potential wife and how it might happen very early on. And whenever they would meet a woman, they would discuss if she were possibly a potential fit for the family. But they were falling more in love each day. When you are falling in love deeply, you are not meeting women wondering if they might be a good fit to add on to the family. That goes against human nature and human instinct and a woman's instincts and emotions. So I doubt that so early on, still in the honeymoon phase, Mary was very enthusiastic and excited to push it at all. I find that very hard to believe. Anyways, that does it for chapter one of Becoming Sister Wives in this episode of Book Club. I will see you Friday for the next commentary of Sister Wives season two, episode three, titled The Price of Polygamy. It should be a good one, and I'll see you next week for episode three of Becoming Sister Wives Book Club with my commentary on chapter two of Becoming Sister Wives titled Janelle and Cody. Thanks so much for tuning in. Please like, comment your thoughts down below. As you know, I love the insights and all the dialogue. And please subscribe. I really would love to have that community tab to interact more with my subs and viewers, especially with questions and polls. I'll see you guys soon, probably Friday, for the next episode of Sister Wives. Again, that would be season two, episode three I'll be covering. Thanks, guys. See you soon. Bye.